The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. Happy Friday, everyone, or in my case, fried day. I'm cutting this audio at 8.16 on a Friday night, and I am absolutely worn out. It's been a loaded week. It's been a fire hose kind of week, and I mean that in a good way. As some of you know, I'm part of an international network of pastors and ministers known as Messenger Fellowship, and every spring, usually in April, we have a summit that the Gates Community Church hosts. That's the church which my dad's are pastors at, and the church that Liz and I youth pastored at for six years up until this past December. So in short, a lot of amazing content packed in three days' time. I'm still processing it and probably won't release a podcast on the summit until next week at the earliest. What I do want to talk about tonight is inspired by something that was said during Tuesday's market place ministry breakout session during the summit. Basically, there are two breakout sessions that take place on Tuesday and Wednesday during each Messenger Fellowship Summit, and some of the breakout groups pertain to those on the mission field, those who are connected to the emerging generation, those who are connected to worship, and those who, like me, are bivocational slash in marketplace leadership arenas. Of course, the Marketplace ministry track made the most sense to me, so I decided to attend that particular session. And while the talks were excellent, there was a moment that struck me in an odd way. Kind of left me speechless. In short, what happened was an older gentleman mentioned at the very end of our conversation how he hated the term bivocational and marketplace ministry. In his mind, we're all vocational in some capacity, and to say you're bivocational implies some sort of education or elite status, like, look at me, I can handle more responsibility than other people, I could handle two paying gigs or or more. (laughs) I guess he saw it as a flexing term. Honestly, I don't know what the intent was. All I know is what I heard, and that was, man, I hate bivocational and marketplace ministry, those labels. And I'm thinking, well, then why did you join this track? And also, (laughs) I'm like, if he knew what Liz and I have been working on the past four years, I'm going to guess he would have an issue with it based on that statement alone. Personally, I don't have any conviction about the bivocational and or marketplace ministry identifiers. When Liz and I started His Girl Friday, we started from our own experiences and the lessons that we were learning from them. We both were youth pastors at the time and we both had full-time jobs and we were challenged on a regular basis both from the trials of having to juggle everything to the troubleshooting issues that just naturally come when you are putting in a full-time effort in more than one place. Two years ago, I wrote an ebook, my first ebook, uh, called The Bottom Line. And in short, it's a, a week long devotional that talks about 
what it truly means to be bivocational, its connection to the word bifunctual in our original design, as in God created us with a unique set of spiritual gifts. And when I say set, I'm obviously implying more than one. Everyone that has existed, is currently existing and will exist, has more than one skill or talent or thing they're good at or at the very least has more than one place of influence. So for me, I guess bivocational is one of those broader terms that then we give credit. We think it's, you know, and I thought this too when I started His Girl Friday, that bivocational, uh, especially in our situation where we were, we had one foot in the church door and we had another in the marketplace, we thought that what we were doing was for a niche audience. But the more we've dug our heels into this ministry, the more we've realized so many people can relate to this. You know, 90 to 95 percent of our congregations work in secular settings, and I firmly believe it's these settings that we must target if we're going to better reach the lost. I'm talking just Christians in general. doesn't matter what our denomination is. I'm talking about if we care about uh, adding people to the kingdom of God, partnering in God's work of reconciliation, then anything we put our hands, our eyes, our minds to, that counts. It all counts together. So I was reminded of something that I wrote two summers ago in June of 2016. It's a series entitled Integrating Ministry in Marketplace. And while I wrote it based on lessons that God was teaching me during that season, it turned out I was able to teach a workshop in Mexico the following month and got to bless people who were in a bivocational and marketplace ministry situation. I got to talk with a number of locals about how to mature as an effective influencer, specifically at the workplace. And I remember it being a really fruitful time. But I also know I haven't really podcasted on this content, so I figured I would just get the ball rolling tonight and just see where we go from here. Whether you're a marketplace or bivocational leader or not, we all know what it's like to have an early morning, a long day, a rough night. If you wear multiple hats, have multiple responsibilities, jobs, you know the drill. Yet while it may be easy to fall into survival, just get it done mode during those stretches where we just have a lot going on, truth is we were never meant to live this way, that just get her done mentality. Yeah, I get how compartmentalization can center the gravity of focus in the moment. I, I believe there is a time to be single focused, and I'm one of the best out there at being single minded. Just ask my wife. Yet, uh, despite the fact that a once step at a time approach can break busy days into doable bite sized moments, however, we often have to pause and zoom out to the 40,000 foot level and remember a key foundational point, and that is. If everyone is worshiping something, then everyone is ministering something. And while ministering may sound like it's just a pastoral term, the reality is when you look at the basic definition of minister, it means to intend the needs of someone. And that someone could be you. It could be me. As weird as it sounds, ministering and self-centeredness can go hand in hand. It just turns out that a lot of times when we say minister, we're referencing something in the Bible, you know, the Gospels, we usually mean it in a self-giving, dying-to-self context or framework. And this was a key point when I wrote my ebook, The Bottom Line, a few years ago. 
if everyone's worshiping something, whether they realize it or not, I think it's important to know what or who we're worshiping. And when we examine this truth in light of Jesus' ministry, we find the marketplace can be just as much a hub of powerful, life-changing ministry as the church. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 21, 12 through 17. Just to set some context here, after Jesus kicks off the triumphal entry, verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 21, note the first place he goes. Verse 12 specifies this clearly, that the temple. And the reason he goes there, to cleanse it. I don't know about you, but when I consider the fact Jesus deliberately, intentionally went to the temple to make its original design known to the marketplace leaders, as opposed to just stopping for a cup of coffee and picking up the Daily Jerusalem, that really speaks to me. Yeah, you know, when we think about Jesus in the temple, the first thing we think of is Jesus making a mess of things, turning tables, setting the doves free. But the key here isn't so much Jesus reacting in frustration as much as Jesus setting things right and being fearlessly intentional and speaking truth and breathing life into what had become a lifeless and warped environment. So while these six verses may seem random as a reference when we talk about what pastoral ministry in the marketplace looks like and how to rightfully use our spiritual gifts in similar arenas, I believe there's important application to be found in this passage. First off, to be an effective marketplace minister, we must be courageous and purposeful with the truth. I mean, we could have skills, we could be gifted with what God has given us. We can be articulate, we could be persuasive. Some of us are great salesmen. Uh, some of us are great marketers. Um, some of us are in roles where we have to do a lot of public speaking and we emit confidence. But if what we're divinely given is utilized with limited integrity, if we're burning ourselves with the distraction of our ego, it's like trying to build a sturdy structure on, on quicksand. Secondly, when we consider what grieved Jesus most in this passage, we deduce how wise, discerning marketplace leaders understand the time and the place to deal with financial affairs as they understand the difference between a love for money and a love for God who provides the money. There's something to be said about marketplace ministers who understand the providence of God and invest their trust in him so that their business practices aren't compromised by worldly systems. Finally, when we consider Jesus straight up calls the temple, my house, in verse 13, my house will be called a house of prayer. We find a couple things. Number one, confirmation of God's view of marketplace as an extension of sanctuary. And two, the value in declaring God's original design over an establishment he intended for our good. Sometimes we think of enterprise and business and capitalism as man-created and inspired functions or entities. But the fact is, is that God gave us work and a lot of what we experience today in our day jobs 
or night jobs, I guess, depending on what shift you work, is the byproduct of necessary organization that come from authorities that God has specifically appointed for such a time as this. I remember my sister saying, you know, you know, one of her revelations as a kid was, did God make skyscrapers, these tall buildings? Well, yes. And her argument was because God made the men to do it. God made the brains to do it. God gave the skill to do it. So as a way of, uh, I guess, of using the transitive property, we can say God created the parameters and the boundaries for organized, well-managed enterprise. Of course, man has fallen, so we have to deal with sin in the marketplace, hence the reason why marketplace ministry is so important. And again, ministry anywhere is important. I don't mean to get so caught up in specifics here, you know, just in case you're a 1099 and you're not working in a traditional corporate setting. The point is, whatever we're committing our hands our arms, our eyes, our feet, our minds to, is connected to what God calls the temple, i.e. a house of prayer. When Jesus calls a temple a house of prayer, he did it so that the truth of its purpose, i.e. a place of dwelling, influence, and vertical communication with God, could be known, all the while setting the stage for his healing ministry by empowering the spiritually and physically impaired to better know that purpose. Just look at verse 14. So it really should be no surprise to see a completely transformed temple by the time Jesus pieces out in verse 17. So what's the bottom line with this podcast? I'll give you four reasons. When we reflect on how Jesus integrated his ministry and spiritual gifts into the marketplace, we see that he was intentional in going to the temple courts to begin with, there's purpose in his action. Uh, he was bold with the truth and how he proactively handled conflict. He lived out the identity he declared over the temple, as we just talked about, and he loved at every opportunity. So I submit if we're going to thrive, not survive, in our cubicles, in our arenas of influence, in our jobs— if we're going to thrive in employing our spiritual gifts in our areas of business, we must be willing to live on purpose, be bold with the truth, pray without ceasing, really be the change we, we crave and long for. And like Jesus, most importantly, love at all costs, at all times, even when it hurts or when it's inconvenient, at our chagrin. My encouragement for you tonight is to see your workplace, or any place that God has called you as an extension of his presence, an inhabitation of his power, and a house of prayer. For God so loves us, he gives each of our functions purpose. Remember, we're all created from the word, and this word can't be separated from what God has called us to, even the temporary things. One of my favorite scriptures is Isaiah 55. And I'm going to read verse 9 through 11 in the Amplified. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, making it rare and sprout, and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, useless without result 
without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For some of us, we're so focused and distracted by our voids. And for some of us, these voids are enhanced by our jobs. Many of us are doing things we naturally do not like to do. And we know deep down, hey, this may be just for a season, but man, I just can't wait till I'm operating in a place of passion. Or I can't wait till I'm working in a healthier work environment, one that has a stronger culture, where the people treat each other with more respect and with more care. Some of us are so bogged down by our self-prescribed sucky situations. However, when we remember how Jesus approached the temple, again, the first place he goes to after the triumphal entry, his last week on earth, we find Jesus targeting the epicenter of commerce and reminding the people what the temple was called to be. But Jesus didn't go to the temple just to spark revelation. He didn't go to the temple just to cleanse it from an identity perspective. He went there so ultimately he could heal the lame and the sick and the blind, all who littered the streets looking for Jesus, expecting Jesus. And I believe some of us need to be reminded of this fact, that there are people in our midst, at our day jobs, in our spheres of influence who are looking for Jesus, who are expecting Jesus. And if they find out you're a Christian, they're going to want to see evidence of a real active relationship where faith and work are at work and are in sync with one another. I'm not saying we use excellence as a vehicle to heal people. We should all aspire to do our work with diligence and excellence no matter what the case. However, we can't cut off that divine sensitivity. We can't be separated from the love of Christ that we're called to pour out. Again, wherever Jesus went, he went to pour out. He didn't see his ministry as his job, that he was only going to work for those three years between ages 30 and 33, then he was going to die on the cross, punch our salvation ticket to heaven, and be on his merry way. Jesus' attitude, his heart to doing Father's work his way, is very different than how the church and the people in it, rather, perceive their work, often as necessary evils. I know I'm just as guilty as anyone when I say I used to view my job as, as a have-to, not so much a get-to. But once I got past my ego, you know, that stubborn little self-centered voice that tries to make sense of everything, that tries to get us to think our identity is tied to our resumes, our past experiences, our education, and everything working together. <laughs> Once I was able to get past that, suddenly how I saw myself, who I saw myself as rather in Christ, was that partnering minister of reconciliation. And suddenly so many divine opportunities began opening up, specifically coming home from Mexico and just a few months after I wrote this blog, praying for people, encouraging people, going out of my way to just see how people were doing and, and just in a very innocent way, seeing where the needs were. Not only did I see my job differently, applying the house of prayer mentality to it, but I saw the people around me differently. So really the temple model to integrating ministry and marketplace can be so key, so powerful and foundational for those of us who work in secular settings. Just six verses in the book of Matthew can lay the groundwork and be the bedrock for our actions and our behaviors and our thought life. It could be our motivation, inspiration each and every day when we're driving to work and we're just praying, God, give me a spark. 
I'm not going to worry about yesterday or tomorrow. I'm just going to focus on today as my daily bread. I guarantee you, friends, when you start getting in the rhythm of this, you'll begin to better trust God that he truly has everything we need for goodness and godliness. And he is always there to fill our love buckets, our passion buckets, our service buckets each and every day. Next time, I'll look to build upon this podcast and lay some more foundation with more specifics, more real-life application. Uh, But for now, if any of this hits home with you or if you want to add to a point to any of this content, feel free to comment below. As always, if you have a prayer request or a praise report, you're more than welcome to either comment or drop us a line, a private message, and we'll be happy to get back with you as soon as we can. Till then, I hope you have an amazing weekend that you will find peace, rest, and joy in abundance as you go about your weekend and the, the week ahead. As always, listen, I'm rooting for you, and as I say, we'll catch you on the fry. Peace. <laughs>